0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I mean that seriously. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John's letter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, and it's good to be back with you this week. Of course, two weeks ago, uh, I got up Sunday morning, and I had to call on Blake last minute. I didn't call him until 6.30 because I had pink eye, and I didn't want to infect everybody, and didn't he do a tremendous job that morning? I was able to watch online, and then last week, uh, yeah, Dr. Richard Bumpers was with us with a challenging message, and so, um, you know, I always say, no matter who's in the pulpit. We want the Word of God to be expressed and preached. Can you say amen to that? Because that's what it's all about. Um, Reader's Digest shares a story some years ago, and I had it in my notes, uh, that a woman uh, of the congregation was surprised at church one day when another woman who had quite frequently snubbed her. We don't know what that's like, do we? (laughs) another lady in the congregation would always snub her and but this particular sunday she went out of her way and came across the foyer in the lobby to give her a, a big hug and just a love all on her and the woman was kind of taken aback and she wondered what in the world has caused such a sudden change in this woman who was always rude to me always snubbed me and i know she was talking about me to all my friends behind my back what changed all of a sudden? Well, at the end of the message that day, she got her answer. She had been absent the previous Sunday, and as the pastor gave them their instructions, he said, my instructions for you this morning are the same that I had given you last week. This week, your assignment for the next week is the same as the last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody that you just can't stand. <laughs> I wish love was that easy, don't you? But it's not. We'll celebrate Valentine's Day this Friday. Guys, make a note. It's not about you on Valentine's Day. It's about your wife. Can everybody say amen to that? And we'll celebrate love as a nation and around the world and but I'm afraid it's quite different than than the love that Scripture talks about. The other elements of that love, it's more of an eros kind of love or phileo kind of love that we celebrate uh, in our culture on Valentine's Day. But when the Bible talks about love... It talks about a pure love, an agape love, a love that's unconditional, that that emulates from God and really is an only God kind of love. However, that He has given us the ability to love in that way. And when we were born again, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5 that, that God has spread His love abroad in our hearts. So, we're without excuse. We can't say that we can't love that way because God has given us that ability only in His power by the Holy Spirit and not in our own strength. And we understand with, with relationships and we encounter certain situations in life, we know that we can't love to that extent on our own, but it has to be God working through us to be able to love in that fashion. Well, as John's writing in his letter, this is not the first time he's mentioned love. Earlier in the chapter of chapter 3, we, we see... John highlight, behold what manner of love the f- has given to us, that we would be called the children of God. And, and then now in verse 11, he, he begins to switch it from, this is the kind of love that the Father has for you and he has for me. And now because of that, here's how you are to love one another. And I think what John is demonstrating here is that it is impossible. We are incapable of loving that way until we first walk in, accept, and knowledge and breathe in, if you will, the love that God has for us. You see, we've got to be secure and comforted, held in His love that is an unconditional love and knowing that, yes, we are messed up human beings. Can you say amen to that? But by God's grace, His love is not diminished or it's not restricted to us whatsoever in that. And that's that agape kind of love. And he says, brothers, now this is a way that that, that you're to love one another. You see, John, John understood the love of God as he walked with Christ in his earthly ministry. And I think John may have had in mind those words that Jesus had for his disciples while he was there in the upper room with them as he had demonstrated his love to them, not only in his ministry, but on that night before he was about to go to the cross where he, he washes their feet and he says, this in John chapter 13. Jesus said, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, that's a high standard. Amen? He says, love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another by this, the the love that we have for one another, the love that we have for others. By this, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what Jesus is saying here is that one of the purest marks that you are a Christ follower, that you are truly a disciple of mine, is that you exhibit this kind of love for one another, a forgiving kind of love, a gracious kind of love, a never-ending kind of love, a love that takes no offense, but we often do, right? That's where the power of the Holy Spirit has to come in in our lives because we can't do it on our own. And here John is, is, is writing this, and he saw the supreme demonstration of Christ's love when he was there, when he witnessed Him lay down His life as a means of sacrifice for our sins. And it's amazing how John and James' his brother are referred to as the sons of thunder. And I think of John being one of those sons of thunder through the transforming work of Christ in his life, moved from the son of thunder to the apostle of love. Isn't that great? Only Christ can do that in somebody's life. John begins this passage beginning in verse 11 by saying this, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. The message that you've heard from the beginning, that the apostles began to preach. In chapter 2, John had already mentioned love as a mark of, of confirming whether or not one is in the faith, and love to others is really a demonstration of three different moral characters that, characteristics that John outlines in his letter, that that where he kind of divides and says, either you're in or you're out, either you're his or you're not his, and these are three defining ways that you can determine whether or not you are his, number 1 he he's already said that we demonstrate that we are his if we're obedient to him right not in every instance, perhaps, because none of us are, but the heart, the, the tense of the verb there when he uses that is there is there a continual growth of and life of obedience to and yielding to the Lordship of Christ in our life. That's a mark that we're one of His. Number two is that we see Christ as God's Messiah, the one sent from God, that He's not just one of many gods, but, but our faith is placed on Christ, that He is the means and provision for our salvation, John. John says that's another mark because there were those who went out from the church while they were a part of them, but they were not of them because they denied Christ as who God had sent him as, as the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh. And the last mark is this, that we have love for one another. I remind you that Paul had the same kind of view, Uh, uh, learned from Christ and his relationship of Christ of this loving one another. He writes this in that love chapter of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. Paul says it this way, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I wish the drummer were up here this morning. I'd irritate you with the cymbal. That's kind of the word picture that Paul describes here. If you have all this stuff, but you have not love, man, it's, it's, a go- it's an annoyance. Number two, verse two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but if I have not love, then I am nothing. We can have all the ins and outs in the spiritual realm. We, we can understand it. We can know it. We can discern it. But if we have not love, Paul says, there we're nothing. Verse 3, he says, if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. Do you think the message that Paul is getting, getting through to us, that it doesn't matter what our knowledge is, what our giftings are, what our service of ministry is, if we don't have love, then none of that means anything. Can somebody say amen to that? So that's a measure. That's, that's the test that he gives. John's message in this portion is simply... I'll give you three quick points here. The mark of the world is hatred, if we read this passage down. But the mark of the church or the mark of the body of Christ is love. Now, I would warn us that our culture today is trying to redefine love, right? Our culture is trying to redefine Christianity, what it means to be a Christ follower, we have to look at the Scriptures and, and see what the Scriptures say that love is, because love masqueraded is one of the most damaging things that can happen to a human heart, right? And so, he, he gives us this lesson that, that the mark of the world is hatred, but the mark of the church, the body of Christ, is love. John again kind of paints a black and white picture here to say, listen, if, if you love, then, then you're one of His. However, if you hate, then, then you're not one of His. One of the marks of a follower of Christ is a love, and, and the mark of one who has not come to know Him is hatred. Why? Why is that? Because it's the transforming work of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. When, when we are born again, and God begins to change us from the inside out. And there's a genuineness to that love. It's not just that we begin to love in outward action, but there's a change of the heart. And trust me, you all know this, that, that when I'm not loving, I thank God for the Holy Spirit who pings me. Amen? He lets me know when there's, there's that desire to hate or to cut off or shut off, and, and the one who's following Christ acknowledges that. And while we may struggle for a period of time to get to that place of love, and we do, don't we? It's not that we turn it on as a faucet, but sometimes there's that struggle in that. But but it's depending on the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. We don't want to live in that. Let me give some working definitions for us in this manner of love and hate because that's the contrast that John is using here. Just as a working definition, love would be described as this, that love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good for the one that's loved. Self is out of the way, and and, and and self denies itself, seeking the highest good for the other party involved. Isn't that what Christ did when he laid his life down for us on the cross? I'm sure it would have been far more gratifying for him in, in the personal sense, not to do that, but but he did. Why? Because he so desired that you and I might have the forgiveness of sins that he was willing to do that to de- demonstrate his love, setting himself aside for our good so that we might have a hope of eternal salvation. Hate, as a working definition, is this. Now, sometimes we get the idea that, that hate is vitriol, but it's not. It can manifest itself that way. But the biblical definition of hate is this, is it, it's a selfish, intensive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' good as I seek my own interest. In other words, you might say that, that hate is loving myself so much that I completely disregard everyone else's good. The definition really goes on not not to just have a vitriol hate, but, but to shut oneself off from another is how the Bible defines hate. And we have to recognize that born in our depravity, that, that we're totally depraved in ourselves, that all of us have this condition of hate in our heart apart from the saving work and transforming work of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, until we first acknowledge that we are born in that, that that we all have a propensity towards hate, we'll never grow in love in Christ fashion. Does that make sense? You see, we're all born in that in that nature. It's, it's not our conditions that make us hateful. It, they may elaborate it, but we're born in that nature. And John writes in verse 12 of this passage, he said, you we should not be like Cain. Now, here he gives an example. Love one another, brother, but we should not be like Cain. And we know the story of Cain and Abel, the descendants, the children of Adam and Eve. And it was the first murder recorded in Scripture where, where Cain slayed his brother Abel when they were making offerings to God, because Abel's offering was acceptable and Cain's was rejected by God. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Then he states, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The writer in Hebrews tells us that the reason that Cain's offering was rejected is because, number one, it wasn't as prescribed, but but Cain did not offer his offering to God in faith. You see, we always have to come to God by faith. And, 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 And Abel had offered it in faith. Cain had not offered the prescribed, which it's not clearly written in Scripture, but the, the prescribed was that there must be a shedding of blood for the remission of sin. And, and Abel had offered the, the shed animal, foreshadowing what would come in Christ. Then he says again, do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. I think John reflects on what what Jesus said again in the upper room where he says in chapter 15 of John, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you five things that that I want to mark in this passage that that teach us about hatred in the text which is in direct contrast to God's love and then to finish up the message I want to point out five marks of love that we find in the text here. Number 1 is this that if we want to understand what hatred is it's typified in the person of Cain or in his character John uses that as a contrast here. You see Cain's hatred towards his brother typifies a self-centered, evil bent of the human heart. Cain's hate typifies in the murder of his brother a self-centered kind of attitude in life. It typifies that. And, and John contrasts it and says, listen, our life in love can't be self-centered. It's got to be other centered Number two is while our self-centered seldom goes to the extreme of murder, the roots are there, right? You see, we're all self-centered in and of ourselves. Rarely does it go to the extreme of murder, but we have to acknowledge the roots of that are there in every one of our hearts. Jesus said, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? so we have to understand that that the roots are there and it manifests manifests itself in different ways, but we're reminded of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that he said, you've heard it said, you've heard it written, do not murder, but I tell you, if you hate another in your heart, then you are guilty of murder. Every one of us in this room this morning are murderers. Can I get a big nod on that? We're all guilty of that. You see, as a result of, of Cain's hatred, his self centeredness, he, he slays his brothers. Interesting in the in the Greek, this word that's translated murder means to slit the throat or to butcher. Eddie Krueger. You ever see the movie Halloween? Right? Eddie Krueger, he, he slays everybody. It's that kind of picture. It's that word picture that we slaughter, we murder, we butcher, we cut out. How about Jeffrey Dahmer? It's that it's kind, of, kind of expression, that, 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 that hate. But can I tell you this, that, that the hate that Cain had found itself in an envy and a jealousy of his brother. You see, the manifestation of murder in this fashion or, or hate oftentimes in our life, the root of that almost always lies in that sense that we have, that we have an envy or a jealousy of another. And we see how deep it goes in there. Number two is this, that hatred originates with the devil. Notice what he says. Your, your, your son, the devil, he says, of the evil one. If we think we have, find that hatred is rooted in the human heart, we need to go a little bit deeper than that. It's really sourced. The The Bible describes Satan as a murderer. He seeks whom he might devour. John 8, Jesus said that the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. And so, we could say from this that all manner of hate in our hearts is sourced in the character of the enemy. So to put it in practical terms, if if I'm choosing to walk in hate, that what what I'm allowing is, is, the, is the devil himself, Satan, to have rule and reign over my life where I hate another and I may justify that hate. However, I have to acknowledge and recognize that the source of that is Satan himself in my life. Number three, hatred divides people and may result in the taking of lives. You see, at best, hatred, I think, manifests itself in indifference or avoidance. It, it's that when, 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 I, when I see someone at church, as illustrated in the story, and, and I have a putting off of them or a, we don't want to call it hate, but that's what the Bible really calls it. And I see them, and and I go the other direction, or I go the other way, and I go to the other side of the sanctuary because I don't like you. None of y'all have ever done that. We find it surprising that I would define that as hate, but that's what the Bible defines hate as, to put off another. Another. It, it, it at best creates that kind of atmosphere, and I can, can I tell you that's the devil's workshop in a family, that's the devil's workshop in a church body, that's the devil's workshop in a vocational setting. That's that's the he loves that. Why he loves division. It, it's it's his device in a nation. And we might call it an expression of opinion. However, God calls you hate because we've allowed that to separate ourselves from others and to prevent us from really genuinely loving. We may not agree, but He calls us to love. And at worst, it becomes murder. Listen to what James writes. I know this is kind of heavy. And some of us are sitting here this morning trying to justify our hate. Don't do it. James says this in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's talking to the body of Christ. He's saying, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. In other words, you want it your way you desire and you do not have so you murder you covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask thank god i don't witness any of this in our body and may it be that we guard against that as a body of christ so that we might demonstrate his love so that all will know that we are his disciples So, don't take this as J-Mo's chastising us this morning And Guinea. I'm not. I don't see it. I know in the history of our church we've had that. Can everybody say amen to that? We know it. Let's not have any skeletons in the closet, and we see the consequences and the results of it, and we play into Satan's hand and allow him to destroy the work of God's kingdom within the body of Christ. You see, we as a body have to guard against that and it starts right in our own hearts. It starts in my heart, it starts in your heart that we don't allow the enemy to have that. I'm passionate about this. I can't explain why. I just am because I know that that God demonstrates his love through the body of Christ to those who do not know him and he so desires for them to have a relation. But if we are at like this, how can we ever demonstrate the love of Christ to a lost world? I got to get a big amen to that, okay? I don't want it for myself feeding, but I want us to agree and realize and recognize that, that, man, if if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has called us to, we've got to guard this in our body. And it starts in our own individual hearts and saying, God, don't allow me to go there. Number four, hatred is always motivated by personal sin. Hatred is always motivated by personal sin. You see, while hatred may be directed at other people, invariably the hateful person is at odds with God. But you do a lot of counseling. Steve, you do a lot of counseling. And I've seen this through the years, that where a hate is manifested towards another person, most often at the root of that, there is an offense that the individual has taken up to God. And until they're released of that and confess that, then they can never love the other person. I was hearing a story this last week, as a matter of fact, of a large church in, in the Atlanta area. And if I said the church, you would know the church and you'd know the pastor. And and the, the confession was, if you will, that for over 20 years, this prominent pastor had held a deep hatred for his father who now had been deceased for some fifteen years. And something happened in the pastor's life As a result of it, he was able to not only forgive his father, but for 15 years after his father was in the ground, the hatred was still there, and it drastically marked his life, and he had fallen into some moral things in his life, but he recognized the root of that was that deep hatred that he had for his heart. Can I say this? That hatred is one of the devices that if the enemy can play on that in our lives, it will bring about other devastating consequences in our life that we have no idea would be affected by that. That's why God so expresses this. Lastly, hatred is the evidence of spiritual death. Look at verses 14 to 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers Whoever does not love abides in hate. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, John's clearly stating, a person whose life is marked by selfish selfish hatred of others shows no evidence of new life in Christ. It's a test for us. And, and it's not that occasionally or at times where we might take up an offense when we're hurt or an opinion's expressed that's different than ours and we hold it dearly, that, that we don't have that sense of that. But, but what John's saying is, listen, that if there's one that's in a pattern, there is a present tense of hate in their life. He's saying there's evidence there that you have not been born again. We might become good churchmen or churchwomen and we might be able to put on that face in public, but if our life is marked by hatred or if we hold on to and massage hatred, then John's saying, look, there's evidence here that, that you're really not born again. John says it, I don't say it. And, and I can't judge you, and you can't judge me. We only have to allow the Holy Spirit to bring judgment in our hearts and our lives. So that we might see. let me move on to something a little more edifying here, okay? <laughs> Five marks of love that he outlines in this passage. First of all, love is typ- typified in God's firstborn, His Son, Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 16. By this we know, experientially we know, love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for his brothers. You see, the cross is the extreme demonstration of what love really is. And I find it interesting in Scripture that, that wherever the love of God is mentioned or the cross of Christ is mentioned, almost inevitably in every instance they're mentioned together. In other words, the cross cannot be mentioned without the love of God being expressed in that. Listen to what Paul writes Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. He says, but the life that I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me. Crucified with Christ. His love for me. Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love expressed through His sacrifice on the cross. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. A dying kind of love demonstrates His love for us, just as husbands are to love their wives in that way. 1 John 4.10, And this is love that we have loved, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the wrath satisfier for our sin, the cross and love. So when we look at the cross, it is a demonstration of God's incredible, unconditional, undying love for you and for me. Love originates with God. Is the second point, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Love was not St. Valentine's idea. <laughs> love was God's idea. Why does it emulate from God? Because it is in God's nature and character. He is love. All of his other attributes come out of the reality that that God is holy and that that God loves. He cannot help but love. God is love and love only. Number three, love unites people and results in laying down our lives for others. Love unites people. 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Love sees the good of others, and love says, you know, I, I, I'm willing to sacrifice so that I might demonstrate, and John uses a practical sense here, that, that there's the demonstration in providing goods for that other individual who is in need. I think I, I, we have a family, we have a few families in our body that demonstrate this kind of love, in um, in 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 fostering young children who are really motherless and fatherless, and I think about that. I, I enjoy being an empty nester. Can I say amen to that? I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy having the grandkids when I want them. And I think. At that stage in life where you have your own life issues to, to bring in a child and care for that child and love that child to the extent that it takes, I think, no man, that's a great picture of love, right? I'm so glad we partner with United Hope for Children that you support through your send-offering giving. And that's why we do that. I, I think of a few weeks ago when we had the Compassion International Weekend and, and love was extended where we had over 146 children adopted that, that you said you're going to care for. There, that, that, that's what John's getting at here is that love sacrifices for the benefit of the other. And whether it's in those fashions or other fashions, listen, he's saying, listen, that, that love unites people and it's a result of laying down one's life or sacrificing for the good of the other. Fourth, love is motivated by God's love in Christ. First John four eleven, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Romans 5, 8. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You see, if I try to love or if you try to love in our own ability, we're going to fail miserably. But it's Christ loving through us and us allowing and depending on Him to give us that that we're incapable of displaying in our own self. You see, that's, that's the only way. It's, it's His love that has to be manifest through our lives to others. Lastly, love is evidence of spiritual life. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. I gotta admit this. I am not where I wanna be in loving others. Anybody else with me on that? I am not where I wanna be. But I thank God I'm not where I used to be. (laughs) I, I, I thank God that not, not anything that Jim has done, but what God has done. And, and honestly, sometimes it's been deep hurt that has, has grown me and you in love. I've said this before, and I had some take exception to my comment, but I want you to think about this. That a, an expression of biblical love, unconditional love, is never there until we first have the opportunity to hate. <laughs> I can love you, if you look like me, especially if you wear cowboy boots, <laughs> I can love you if you think like I think. I, I, I can love you if you have the same worldview that I have, if you have the same political view that I have, if you come from the same culture that I come from, if you're of the same ethnicity that I'm from. I can, I can love you. It's easier to love you, but, but the moment that that differs... And I have the opportunity to take offense and hate you until I go through that and love you in spite of being a Georgia Tech fan. Steve. I know you do. You see, you see what I'm getting at? You see, when we pass through that, that's when love becomes love. Love. I believe that's based in a theological position. Here's why. God had every opportunity to hate and discard you and I. But he demonstrated his love, his unconditional love, and that he provided a way through his giving so that we might have eternal life and a relationship with him. That's when love becomes love. So my encouragement to you this week is this. Your assignment is to go out and find somebody you just can't stand and just love on. (laughs) My assignment to all of us this week is to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you work in my heart and would you show me anywhere, any place, any, any segment, any, any, any political party, any, any, anywhere where I'm hating. God, change my heart. And let me express your love because God, no matter where that person might be, in, in an opposite place or view as me, I don't want that to keep them from seeing that you've changed my heart by me having a relationship to Christ, and I can love beyond those things and demonstrate His love to them. That's your assignment this week. And I promise you this. If you ask the Holy Spirit to show you someone, you know what? He's going to. But if you don't want to know, don't ask Him. Church, may we demonstrate Christ's love, may we convey and communicate the nature and character of a loving God through our lives as being His children. And behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should become the children of God. Would that be our call and our aim? Let's close and then we're going to have a time of response to the message this morning. I want to encourage you this morning that if you want to take some time at the altar and ask the Lord to show you that, then no better time than, than right now today, this morning. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, Pastor Butch and others will be down here at the altar to pray with you. Or maybe grab your Sunday school teacher or somebody in your small group to come here with you and just pray. But would we earnestly pray that God would never let us max out and loving. And may that be the mark that we have as a local church body. And those folks may not have it all together, but boy, they sure know how to love. And that God would use that so that others might be drawn to Him. Father, we thank you. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, Please visit us online at firstconyers.com.